Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. So if you join me in turning to the Gospel of John, we'll be in verse 16, 17, and 18. The Gospel of John. And as you're turning there, I want to say to you, Merry Christmas. And I want to ask this morning, why Christmas is merry? Why is the celebration of Jesus' birth a merry occasion? Merry means cheerful or lively or an occasion accompanied by festivity and rejoicing. And as I was growing up, I enjoyed Christmas for so many wonderful reasons, gifts, presents, what was going to be in the stocking. I couldn't wait to get the next series of Topps baseball cards and my mom couldn't really camouflage that very well because it's a, it's a box of baseball cards. And she would wrap that box and dead giveaway. I knew what it was, but I couldn't wait to get the next set of cards. Probably got some good rookies in there somewhere in the bottom of my grandmother's basement. Gifts. A break from school. I did well in school, but I never enjoyed it. <clears throat> I mean, truthfully, I was happy to to leave. I even enjoyed time with my family. The cousins would come in. We would hang out, play football, basketball. We just had a a great time together. And by the way, my mom can cook. Food was awesome. Christmas was full of festivity and fun and family and rejoicing. So So many good memories. But I know that for some here today, and as I pastor... The longer that I pastor, the more aware I become that Christmas can be a bittersweet time. Christmas, Thanksgiving, holidays, anniversaries, birthdays, they they bring memories of seemingly better days, days before loved ones passed or tragedy struck. These are difficult realities that every one of us eventually faces in a world broken by sin. And yet, I submit to you this morning that Christmas, though bittersweet, is still more sweet than bitter. I submit to you that Christmas is still fundamentally, at the end of the day, a merry occasion. And the reason for this is found throughout the scriptures, but I want to focus today on the way John puts it in John 3.16. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I I sure hope that you do, would you join me there? John chapter 3, verse 16, and, and before we read, let's set the context, okay? Right before this passage, Jesus encounters Nicodemus. You remember the story of Nicodemus? I like to pronounce his name Nicodemus, just because that's fun. But Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. I like to call him Nick at night. 
he's, he's a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews, and Jesus, he comes out to Jesus at night. We aren't told why he comes at night, if he's embarrassed, or maybe Jesus was busy and with the crowds, and he finally, he's like, I'll just go to him at nighttime. I finally get a chance to see Jesus. And he's like, what do I got to do to get into heaven? And Jesus is like, to, to see the kingdom of heaven, much less to enter it, to see the kingdom of heaven requires that you be born again. Now, this is a challenging concept because who among us gave birth to ourselves? Exactly zero of us, right? And we've got to be born again. We've got to be born, uh, the word actually means from above. God has to make us new for us to enter the kingdom. Gangle writes this, the actual words born again describe a garment torn from top to bottom. Unless God changes our hearts in this way, tears the old and starts fresh with the new, changing us from the inside out, any discussion of the kingdom is useless. Any discussion of of heaven and eternity without being born again is, is pointless. No amount of good works, no amount of keeping the law can save this proud Jew nor any one of us, from sin and its penalty, death and everlasting judgment. Salvation is not earned. It comes from outside of us. It is an undeserved and unearnable gift from God. So Nicodemus has to be changed on the inside by the Spirit of God. He has to be given a new heart and relationship with God. Gangle is again helpful when he says we must be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Children of God who inherit the kingdom are not improved caterpillars, but by faith have become spiritual butterflies. And in verses 14 to 15, Jesus explains that this is possible, this regeneration, this new birth, this transformation, being made a new creation. These are all Bible terms for what God does to us in making us new. He explains it it is all possible because the Son of Man, this is Jesus, the one who is worthy of all and will one day have the allegiance of all the people who remain on earth, that this Son is going to be lifted up like the bronze serpent had been lifted up in the days of Moses. Now, In your free time this afternoon, if you want to go back to Numbers 21, you can read that story. But the Israelites were being afflicted by venomous snakes, and they were dying. But God says, put a bronze serpent on a pole. They can look to the serpent in faith, and they can live. This is foreshadowing what Christ would do in hanging on the cross. In an even greater way, people bitten by the ancient serpent who lived their entire lives in the fear of death, people enslaved to sin, they could look to the crucified Son of Man, the only person not deserving of death who would die in their place. They could look to Him and they could live. The Son of Man hanging on the cross would provide a cure for the poison of sin, deliverance from death, from sin, and removal of the condemnation of sin. But how is it that a man could be the source of eternal life? Man, how could a man take the sting out of the ancient serpent's bite and bring sinners into right relationship with a holy God? That's the message of Christmas. Would you hear with me the word of the Lord? John 3, 16 through verse 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Would you pray with me? God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your Son. I pray that any who do not yet have this gift in this room or listening online, God, that today might be the day of salvation. Today might be the day they open the gift. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's three things I want to show you from this text this morning. Why it is that Christmas is merry. Why it is that God giving His Son at Christmas is a merry occasion. And the first thing we've got to see, we need to see the intensity and the scope of God's love. The intensity and the scope of God's love. It's a massive love and it's a love that is big. It's, it, it's for the world. In verse 16, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he explains how the new birth is possible in Jesus and why we must believe in Jesus. And John begins with the love of God. For the first time in this gospel, John uses the word agapao. You hear the word agape. It's the verb form of agape love. He, he loved the world in a special way. This is more than phileo or friendship love. It is God's special kind of love. It's the special kind of love that should characterize the Christian in his or her love for other Christians. It is a self-giving, sacrificing love. God gave in love. He loved in a self-giving way. And it's not just that he loved in this compassionate, patient, sacrificing, self-giving way. He so loved. God loved and he so loved. And it's interesting, the word so in Greek is a word that means in this way or in this manner. God loved in this way or, or in this manner. And so there are some scholars who are a little bit too scholarly for their own good who have who've taken this and they said, well, the word so communicates an intensity of love that's not really there. It's just that God loved in this way. But this is nonsense. And it's nonsense for, for a few reasons. First, God is the one loving. <laughs> you can't get any more intense than, than God loving. He is the ultimate father. He's the ideal father. There's no father greater than God the father. And his love is intense if for no other reason than it's God who is loving. He lacks no resource to love and God by his very nature, 1 John 4, 8, is love. You can't get any more love than the love of God who is father. You remember what Jesus says to the Pharisees, even evil fathers know how to give good gifts to their children. How much more will your Father in heaven love and give? Second, to minimize God's love is misguided because Jesus intentionally uses an, excuse me, John uses an unusual way of stating God's love for the purpose of communicating its intensity. I know y'all didn't come to Greek class this morning, but the Greek, if we're translating in sort of a wooden fashion, literally word for word, the Greek says this, in this way, 
God to have loved the world in so much that. And you say, well, that doesn't make much sense. No, it doesn't. It doesn't translate well into English because John is intentionally using a weird Greek construction that is designed to communicate intensification of that verb. So God loved, he so loved, and that's exactly what John is saying about the love of God. It's this massive, unbelievable, intense, huge love. Aren't you thankful that God loved the world? That he so loved the world? But there's another reason that we should understand the intensity of God's love. And it relates to the scope of his love. The object of God's love is the world. God so loved not just one person, not just a puppy dog, not just a nice car. God so loved the world. And while the world is big, it's, it's a lot to love, that's not what makes God's love for the world so amazing, so overcoming, so intense. Be sure you listen to this. This is a massive point. Carson writes this, God's love is to be admired not because the world is so big and includes so many people, but because the world is so bad. The word for world used here is cosmos. It's the word that communicates the wickedness of the world. The world is so wicked that John elsewhere forbids Christians to love it or anything in it. 1 John 2, 15-17. Christians are not to love the world. But God so loved the world. How do we reconcile this concept? Well, we are not to love the world with the selfish love of participation in the things of the world, while God loves the world with the selfless, costly love of redemption. So are we to love the world? On the one hand, yes. We would give ourselves that lost people might come to know a God who loved the world, but we are not to love the world by becoming a part of the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. So God so loved the world, not in the sense that He came down to become a sinner, but he came down to redeem sinners in this selfless, costly redemption. Isn't it amazing that after Jesus meets Nicodemus, this Jew, this Pharisee, that God does not say, God so loved Israel? He does not say, God so loved good people? But he says, God so loved the world, and he uses the word for world that communicates the wickedness of the world. God so loved this wicked world. The whole world was on the wicked rebel sinner deserving of everlasting wrath list. And God didn't make a list, he sent his son. He didn't check it twice, he sent his son. I'm so thankful that Christmas is about grace and not about being good enough to get candy and presents. That was for free. Christmas is about the cross. And parents, you have a responsibility to make sure your kids in this corrupt and godless culture understand what Christmas is about. So be sure what gets through your filter communicates grace and not works. That wasn't in my notes. 
but it's important. When God sent His Son, He sent a righteous remedy for a wicked world. He sent a way for sinners drawn to salvation through faith in His Son, for, from every tribe and tongue and language and nation to, to come through Jesus. When the angel appeared to the shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus, do you remember what the angel said? I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. When Simeon met Jesus in the temple, he took him up in his arms and proclaimed that Jesus would be not just glory for Israel, but a light for revelation to the Gentiles, Luke 2.32. When God made a promise to save the world through Abraham's son, he promised there would be a day when all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. How? Through Abraham's eventual son, King Jesus. In Psalm 67, the psalmist envisions a day when people, not just from Israel, but from all nations will give praise to God's king. Why do we give away approximately 15% of our budget every year to reach people in Roanoke and across Virginia and across our country and around the world when we have needs right here that we could take care of with that money? Why do we keep sending? Why do we keep giving? Because God so loved the world. world here is God's earthly creation and especially people. It is people who have rebelliously sinned against God, and yet God so loved. We, we don't often think of it this way, but the flood of the world in the time of Noah was not only an act of God's judgment, but of God's loving salvation. The world at the time of Noah had descended into violence and disregard for God. The whole world deserved Nothing but judgment, and God sent it, but not before He made a way by giving grace to Noah and all who would give on his, get on His boat. With the flood, God washed the world. He renewed it with the flood, and He spared people who would repopulate the world through one man's obedience, Noah's. Because of God's love for the world, the world got a fresh start in the days of Noah through a flood. But that remedy didn't work out very long, did it? Do you remember what happened? No sooner had Noah's family disembarked the boat than Noah got drunk, ham sinned, and humanity's problems, sin, death, and rebellion against God remained. The world was refreshed, but sin remained, and we descended into rebellion all over again. The world needed a remedy infinitely greater than the ark. The world needed the Son of God. The world needed a remedy that could take our sin upon Himself and bury it and cast it as far as east from, is, east from west and change us from the inside out. And so God sent His Son. Christmas is a merry occasion because God so loved but it's not a merry occasion just because he loved out there somewhere. Something had to be done about sin. Something had to be done about the stain in our hearts. Something had to be done about our lack of a relationship with a God that we had sinned against. And so the second thing we need to see for Christmas to be a merry occasion is we need to see and understand the uniqueness and the greatness of the gift. The Hallmark brand of greeting cards. Does anybody remember Hallmark? There was a time that they were well known for a slogan, when you care enough to send the very best. I don't know if anybody less than 40 knows that, but 
They, they used to say that, right? So you go into the store and you'd be like, well, I better get a Hallmark card because if I don't get a Hallmark card, I get this Kroger brand card that I didn't care enough to send the very best. When, when God acted in love for the world, he did not hold anything back. He cared enough to send his very best. His only son, and that is good news because the salvation of sinners required God's best. There's no discount solution that could redeem you from your sin. There's no cheap substitute that could redeem you from your sin. It required a perfect, spotless human being who would be innocent, hanging on a cross to take your place. God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't think about giving and then forget to give. Yesterday, I got out of the house before noon. I had an agenda, some things I was going to get done. I was going to buy some last-minute gifts. I was going to get the car washed, and we sent the car through the wash the first time, and it didn't touch the top, so I realized that after I had like detailed everything else. And then I like looked at the top, and I'm like, it's still nasty on top. So I had to rewash it and then redo everything I did. And Stacey's like, where are you? I'm like, you wouldn't believe where I am. I'm cleaning the car for the third time. And somewhere along the way, I, I forgot that I intended to buy gifts for my sister and my nephews. And so last night at 9 o'clock, I found myself at the mall. Bless God. I, I love my sister. I love my nephews. But I forgot to get their gift until last minute. God didn't forget to give. Before the foundation of the world, 1 Peter 1.20, he planned to glorify his son by saving a world filled with sinners. And at Christmas, which came, Galatians 4.4 says, at the right time or in the fullness of time, God gave his son. He had a plan to love, he had a plan to give, and he executed the plan in exactly the way that he intended to do. God is a much better gift giver than your pastor is. I am far too last minute, or I dream of getting a great gift and then I fail to execute, either because it doesn't fit in my budget or because I just, just forget. God had a plan to give His Son before the beginning. He even previews His plan in the Old Testament, and then He gives according to the plan. He didn't rush off to Kroger and grab a last-minute gift card during quadruple fuel points weekend. He gave us what nobody else could provide. He gave us His Son. I love what Samuel James says here. That's not my son, Samuel James, but a, a theologian pastor. Listen to what Samuel James says. God's love isn't something he was manipulated or forced into feeling. God the Father, in his perfect, insurmountable, fatherly compassion, sent his only begotten son to the world. And we know, based on what we see in verses 14 and 15, that God sent His Son to die, to be lifted up on the cross for all those who had been bitten by the ancient serpent, to take the sin of the world upon Himself, to bear the just wrath of God towards sin, and to conquer sin and death and Satan's schemes in His resurrection, so that the world through Him might be saved. Why did the Son come. The Son made the world, and the Son is the only one qualified to recreate the world. What we owe to the eternal God 
For our sin against him is everlasting death. So God gave his eternal son to take our place and deliver us to everlasting life. What a reversal we get in the son. James says this, God sent his son to the world to die so that dying spiritual orphans enslaved to sin could become his children. And they could hear their father singing over them, Zephaniah 3.17. This is why the angel says to Joseph in Matthew 1.21, not just that Mary will have a son, not just that Mary will even have a special son, but she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When John tells us that God gave his son to be lifted up for sinners, and now in verse 16, he tells us that he gave his only son, or his unique son, or his only begotten son, alarm bells start going off in our mind if we're familiar with the book of Genesis. He he gave his son to die, but in order for his son to die, he had to give his son some way to be born, and to be born in a way that would fulfill all the promises of the Old Testament. And when we hear that this is God's only son, it takes us all the way back to Genesis 22. Do you remember the story in Genesis 22? In chapter 22, verse 2 of Genesis, we read that God said this to Abraham. Take your son. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will show you. Now we know that Abraham actually had two sons, right, at this point. He had Ishmael and Isaac. But God's promises to save a world of sinners were to be fulfilled through his son, Isaac. Not through Ishmael. But through Isaac. So, for the purposes of bringing God's salvation to the world, Isaac is the only option. He's the only son. And God tests Abraham's faith in him as a promise keeper by asking him to offer up Isaac, the only option for redemption, as a sacrifice. Hey, Abraham, I know you got one son, and I'm going to keep all my promises through that son, but why don't you walk out to a mountain and kill him? So, Abraham prepares for the sacrifice, makes the three-day journey to the mountain, and he looks up to the mountain. It says in the text that he lifted his eyes when he saw the place where he's going to kill his son. Why would he do that? Why would he lift his eyes in hope? Because he believes, Hebrews 11 tells us, that God's going to raise Isaac from the dead. But Abraham doesn't slaughter Isaac because the angel of the Lord stops Abraham just before he's about to draw the knife and jab it in his son. (laughs) Abraham, Abraham, stop. Abraham passed the test. Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac up from the dead and fulfill his saving promises somehow, but Isaac would not work as the son to be sacrificed. Isaac wouldn't work because he was infected with the same sin that infects me and all of you. To rescue sinners from death, a sinless substitute would be required. Not someone, excuse me, someone not deserving of death would have to take our place in death for us to escape death. So, 
After stopping Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, God promises one day he'll provide a lamb to accomplish all that the Lord promised to bring about through Abraham's descendant. So from Genesis 22 until Jesus Christ, we are looking for God to give a son who is offered up as a lamb to bring blessing not just to Israelites but to all nations. The promises of God given to Abraham culminate in the giving of God's Son. So now, John tells us, not of Abraham, but of a greater father, and of a greater son, and and of an even greater love. God the Father gave His only begotten Son. Now, this does not mean that God's Son was created by the Father. God's Son is God the Son. When God comes down For us, God himself comes for us. This is why Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us, just as Isaiah promised in chapter 7, verse 14. There was never a time that God's only begotten Son did not exist as God and God's Son. Let me say that again. This is important for our theology to understand grace. God didn't just give us a son that he borrowed. He gave us himself by giving us his son because God the son is God and God the father is God. So when God the son hangs on the cross for you, God is giving you himself. There was never a time that God's only begotten son did not exist as God and God's son. There are heresies out there that will tell you that Jesus was created. That he was born, and because he was born, he was created. He was not created. He is God the Son, co-creator with God the Father and God the Spirit in eternity past. Why in Genesis 1 does it say, let us make make man in our image? Because God has always been trying. How is it that God is love? Because he's Father, Son, and Spirit. And do we understand the Trinity? Can we comprehend the Trinity? No, God is, it's a mystery. I'm going to that class in eternity. Hey, God, help me understand this. But listen, and listen well. No mathematician, no scientist has ever disproved the Trinity. You can't disprove it. It's not irrational. It's supra-rational. It's beyond our comprehension. And don't we want a God who's beyond our comprehension? Man, I need a God I can't fully understand. I need a God who blows my mind. And that's what we have in God. God came down in the person of His Son, and He took our place. You say, well, I I can't wrap my mind around that. I don't believe that. It's what God's Word says. He's the eternally begotten Son of the Father. By Him, Colossians 1.16, all things were created. Not all things except one thing, but He made everything. Jesus made everything. And the only person who can make you new and recreate you from the inside out is the one who made it all. He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together, Colossians 1.17. Though He is equal with God, He didn't think He was being cheated to have to be the person of the Godhead sent as the gift of the Father's love to save sinners from all over the world, Philippians 2.6. Amazingly, God gave His Son in a way that connects seamlessly with His ancient promises to bring salvation through a son of Abraham and a son of David. He sends His Son... To be conceived in the Virgin Mary, who just so happens to be betrothed to Joseph, a descendant of King David. As Gabriel says to Mary in Luke 1, 32 and 33, he'll be great. He'll be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his 
kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. When we look at baby Jesus in the manger, we are looking at God and God's gift. God's Son sent for the world. C.S. Lewis once quipped this, Once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than our whole world. In that manger, there was God's Son who His promise came in the line of Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and then Judah and then David. And yet He also left the glory of heaven to conquer our enemies, sin, death, hell, and the grave, and deliver to everlasting life people from all nations who trust in Him, the ultimate, final, and forever King from Israel who is also King of nations. So as James writes, when we look at Christmas, at the Christmas manger, we need to see more than a baby. We need to see a heavenly father, the one who gave his only son to us so we might become adopted sons and daughters. Brothers and sisters, friends, church family, there's one way to know God. It is through Jesus, God's only son. God so loved the world, and He gave one gift, the gift of His Son. He didn't give many gifts. He didn't give many paths. He didn't give many ways. He gave one Son, the Creator God, to take the place of those who violated the Creator and His order and who sinned against Him. He gave His Son. And so the final way for Christmas to be merry this morning is not just to realize that God loved It's not just to realize the scope and intensity of His love. It's it's not just to realize that He gave a unique and special gift, the only gift by which we can have a relationship with God. The, The last way and the most important point in the message is the last one this morning. We've got to believe in Jesus. If you hear that God loved and God sent a great gift and you just leave the gift under the tree, it's not going to do you any good. When God returns... It will be true that God has so loved the world. When Christ returns, it will be true that there will be a world filled with worshipers praising Jesus, but you will not get to enjoy that world apart from faith in Jesus, God's only Son. So what do we need to do this morning? If you know Christ, you need to leave this place being reminded and recharged and refreshed that you have a mission. And your mission is to go tell the world that God so loved the world that He sent His Son, that if you believe in Him, you'll not perish. You won't suffer. You won't die in an everlasting way, but you will have everlasting life in His Son. And if you don't know this truth individually, personally on the inside then perhaps today would be the day that you would believe in Christ Jesus and receive the greatest gift so far we've seen that God loved the world and he loved by giving his only begotten son the only son who could save us from death we we know rescue from death is the point because of what comes next why did God give his only son that whosoever believes in him will not should not perish but have everlasting life To perish is to enter into a death that never dies. Perishing is everlasting death away from the loving presence of God. It is to abide in God's wrath forever. Gangle says this, It is to abide in utter failure and futility and loss and eternity without God. 
But praise God, church. God so loved the world that He made a way in Jesus to give us life. The eternal God came down to take our place in death and to give sinners a share in His life. What a promise. What a, what a truth. What a relief. God gave His Son so that we don't have to die. And yet, not everyone sees it that way, do they? When they hear about Jesus for the first time, not everyone immediately feels merry when they're like, hey, Jesus came to die for you, wretched sinner. In our pride, we like to think that we can get to God on our own. In our pride, we, we like to think that we can make our own way to God, that we can build our own towers into the heavens, that we can bypass our way to the good life without God. Indeed, many people look at the gift, the gift of God's only begotten Son, and what do they say? They say, no thanks. Some people look at the gift of Jesus, something like getting a Weight Watchers subscription for Christmas. I mean, what exactly are you trying to say? Don't look at Jesus like that. Jesus wasn't sent to condemn you. You're already in the state of condemnation. Jesus was sent to save you. Look at verse 17. Jesus didn't come into the world to bring condemnation. Yeah, that was already the problem of the world. He was sent to save the world. We are not condemned because God sent a Savior. We are condemned because we are sinners. We condemn ourselves by our sin. God sends the Savior. In verse 18, John says, those who refuse to believe in Jesus are condemned already. Gangle summarizes it this way, we exist in a state of condemnation from our birth. Our sin nature is inherited from Adam. We enter life in a state of spiritual death, and then our sin natures compound the problem with our own sinful behavior. So don't look to Jesus and freak out this morning. Don't look to Jesus and debate with God and be like, God, is my sin really that bad? Yes, it's really that bad. Only Jesus could save you from your sin. Am I really going to face judgment? Yes, unless you repent of your sin and believe in Jesus. Don't look at Jesus and get mad at the gift giver. Well, I didn't really want that. didn't really want you to acknowledge, you know, that probably haven't been standing on the scale lately. Don't look at Jesus and get mad with God. Look at Jesus and go, God so loved the world. Don't look at Jesus and squirm or sulk or stall in your stubborn rebellion and state of condemnation. Instead, this Christmas Eve morning, why not believe and have eternal life in Jesus? Why not believe in Jesus and be delivered from the wrath to come, as Paul puts it in Thessalonians? Paul says in Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can leave a state of judgment and condemnation that is just and right for you to receive and instead have none of that because Jesus came down, lived a perfect life, died an atoning death to take the wrath of God for you and you can have that life today. I can't think of a better way to have a Merry Christmas than to go from death to life. I can't think of a better way to have a Merry Christmas than to go from lost to found. You know, I can't remember one thing I got for Christmas last year. Now, somebody's going to be upset at me. They'll be like, I, well, my mom's over here like, you can't remember that book? I, she got me a book. 
I don't remember which one. Do you remember what you got for Christmas last year? Honestly, two years ago. Raise your hand if you remember what you got for Christmas five years ago. Nothing. But I'll tell you what. When you hear the gospel, you see your sin, and you see your destiny apart from God who so loved the world, and God begins knocking on the door of your heart, and you say, God, I need you, that's a gift you'll never forget. April 20th, 1986, in Mineral Springs Baptist Church, I went from death to life. I went from lost to found. I went from darkness to light. I went from condemnation to celebration. I went from rebel sinner to rescue child of God. And the same can be true for you if you will turn from your sin and open the gift of God's love. Receive His Son, turn from your sin, own it, confess it, let it be a part of your story. Stop hiding from your sin, stop wallowing in your self-pity and believe in Christ. Literally, the text says in John 3.16, not just believe in Him, the, the Greek word is to believe into Him. What does it mean to believe into Jesus? It means to rest the whole weight of your existence on Him. It means Jesus becomes not this little appendage on your life. He becomes your life, your reason for living. God's gift of love sent to save this world broken by sin and every sinner who trusts in Him. He becomes your mission and your ambition. Jesus is God's gift of love for the world and the greatest gift ever given. So this morning, if you know Christ... Go tell the world. And if you don't, today's the day. Turn from your sin. Believe in Christ. And get a Christmas gift you'll never forget. Would you pray with me? God, our Father in heaven, we so desperately need you. And we're so thankful that you've come for us in Christ. We thank you that sin is conquered and the grave is defeated. And we are liberated to know and worship and behold you in your glory because of Jesus. So God, help us, we pray, as we respond this Christmas Eve morning to whatever you would have us to do in light of what you've shared with us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand and sing, and if you need Christ, don't put it off another day. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.